Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. And I am Chris Marone. And today we're going to do things a little bit differently. Chris, you are calling us from my favorite place, New Orleans. I want to get an update on what the Final Four was like. But then we have an interview of Francesca Whitsberg. She is an amazing lawyer there from the Northeast. And she practices and specializes in intellectual property, especially when it comes to the computer and how you can maintain property rights to what you create on the computer. It's going to be an amazing conversation, part one of, I hope, of the mini-part series, as she promised to come back on. But first, Chris, I want to hear from you because you are where I wanted to be because the yes. Kansas Jayhawks, Rock or is it the Kansas City Jayhawks? We're going to talk about that here in just a bit. Uh, won the national championship. You were there. Give us a report from New Orleans. Oh, first off, my room is overlooking the beautiful Mississippi River. And as we're recording this, the sun is just peeking over the bend and it is absolutely gorgeous. You, live you may hear life. the. Yeah, you may hear the frog in my throat because I haven't gone to bed before 6 a.m. this entire week that we've been out here. And I, I am a little bit drowsy, but we're going we're gonna to marshal on, right? Because we got our faithful listeners that need to hear what we have to say. But, dude, you are, you are burning the midnight oil. 6 a.m. Oh, dude, that's when you yeah. get up. That is not yeah, when you no. go to bed. No, I yeah. Lot, Joel, there has been a many a nights where I've gotten like 45 minutes to an hour of sleep in between what we're doing. So here's going to be the problem. If we listen to you today and we can't tell the difference, what will that mean about your normal coherence? Uh, but, hey, you are there uh, snatching up some merchandise. How oh, yeah. is it when you run into all these Duke fans, North Carolina fans, Ooh. KU fans, and uh, and Villanova fans? I mean, was it uh, was it hopping? Was there a lot of paraphernalia going on? Oh, a lot my of people gosh. their jerseys? Yeah, so uh, we rolled in um, Friday before the the final four matches which were saturday um and it was just everything was blue everything was blue there was tar heel blue and ku blue and right, Villanova right. blue and duke blue blue bloods. Uh, ev everybody yeah blue bloods the whole nine yards everybody was supporting their team everybody was incredibly civil for the most part there wasn't a lot of like you know every once in a while you get some people yelling rock chalk and some other people yelling I don't boiler up or whatever North Carolina right, says, right. you know, it, there was some friendly back and forth, but for the most part, everybody was super, you know, super chill uh, until about like five o'clock. And I think that was like the, the line of demarcation of being sober and being, <laughs> being acceptable. Because for those of you who don't know, New Orleans is an open container town. So you could walk bar to bar to bar with your, with your drink. You don't have to finish your drink at a bar, which coming from California is a very different uh, process. Right. So people are, are fully intoxicated in the streets and they're walking around. And for anybody who's been to the French Quarter, it's not exactly like a three-lane road. It's very small. It's tight compartments. It's alleyways. People are bumping into each other. They're falling out into the streets. So when the nighttime hit, it was a different story of people being belligerent and just – you know, not not having that good camaraderie, faithful, fun right. competition spirit. It was, you know, a lot of F-bombs, a lot of F-your-moms, a lot of I'm going to beat you up. Well, that's not yeah. the experience that I have had in, in New Orleans. No. My, my experience has all been about music food. and food. the food. I love the food. Did you get a chance to go to Drago's and eat the best morsel of food New Orleans has to offer? I did. On the, I was the second dinner one night, and actually, okay. where I'm sitting in my hotel room right now while we're recording this, I can see the Hilton and Drago's from my hotel room. 
Okay. So we did stop by there. Actually, we stopped by twice because I took your recommendation to get the oyster, the grilled oysters, which were mwah, chef's kiss. Absolutely yes. delicious. Amazing. One of one of the best meals I had here. But then we went back and we just tried their whole seafood boil. And that okay. was also that was also amazing. So Drago's hit hit the spot both times. Haven't had a bad meal there. At, well, that's not true. Their gumbo a little too salty, but that's about really? all. I, you know, like I, I can't be here and be the guy that's like food networking it up, right? It's not a competition, but it was just a little too salty on the gumbo for me. But other than that, everything was solid. My experience in New Orleans was every single restaurant I went to, I said to myself. Okay, this is the best food I've ever had in my entire life. And then I went to the yeah. next place. It's like, you know what? No, no, no. This is the best food I've had in my entire life. And then I went to the third yeah. place. Like, no, no, no. Hold on. This is the oh, best yeah. food I've had. I swore if I went to McDonald's, I would have said this is the best McDonald's I've had in my <laughs> entire life. Because it was an amazing place when it comes to food. I yeah. like going into the gumbo pit stop. It's up there in Metairie. And uh, just uh-huh. a little hole-in-the-wall shack kind of place. They serve the best gumbo. Whenever I go in there, I stop off in Metairie uh, and so to make sure I have some of that, that gumbo. It, it is a great place. If you, if you like food, now, I, I don't get into too much of the whole nightlife, primarily because mm-hmm. I really fit that uh, meme that says, I was born to party until about 9 o'clock or so. Yep. I just get tired. My spirit is willing. My flesh is weak. I just fall asleep. <laughs> but nonetheless, I was there for argument one time before the, um, the Fifth Circuit. I was there with my boss, and we were walking down Bourbon Street. And oh. we are just kind of taking in the different jazz scenes and listening to some jazz music. And yep. this lady approached us with some beads. Now, I had no idea what the protocol was in that scenario. I have heard rumors about the other way around where people Mm -hmm. would approach females with beads. But here you had some lady who was, I'm going to just say drunk as a skunk. I'm guessing I did not do a blood alcohol content on her. But I'm just guessing from the the circumstances, the circumstantial evidence that she might have had a little bit too much to drink already. Offering Kevin and I some beads. We just took the beads and said thank you and then walked about our way. I had no idea what actually we were supposed to have done there. But hey. You, you are there in New Orleans. You saw the Final Four. Now, one thing I want to talk about the Final Four, because this does relate to the law that we're going to get to our interview, right? is after the Jayhawks won the championship, amazing comeback. If you're Rock not a chop. basketball fan, you got to understand Kansas City is the yep. home of comebacks. Back in 2008, we won the NCAA title when we were down nine with two right. minutes to go. Right. Think about that. Down nine, two minutes to go. Yep. We won that. We on Mario Chalmers three pointer sent it to overtime, and we beat Memphis. And then you remember the Super Bowl from a few years back. The Chiefs were very much behind the San Francisco 49ers. I know you yep. probably remember that. I uh, do. Closely, we Sadly. came back from that, and we came back from double digit deficits in every round of the playoffs that year. Right. Our Which Kansas was a talking City. point in the bars afterwards after the game. It was a very fine talking point about. New Orleans being the city of second chances and the city of redemption and to have okay. such a, an amazing comeback that, that KU had, it fit right into the whole narrative of New Orleans. The largest comeback ever. We were down by 16 yep. in the championship game. No other team had come back from such a large deficit in a championship game. That's what the Jayhawks did. We are the place of comebacks. But that's what I want to focus on. Right. Where is that place? Is it Kansas? Is it Kansas City? Because the Ooh. NCAA president, Emmert, when he was handing the uh, the trophy to the to Bill Self, and by the way, 
There's a lot of bad blood. Uh, there is. A, there a is. sanction is coming down from the NCAA against KU. I'm going to suggest totally unwarranted. We're actually going to unpack the legalities because I have a slam dunk case as to why the NCAA in sa- sanctions are not going to be warranted against KU. It's just going to simply be the NCAA trying to somehow prove it has some relevance out there in the real world. But we're going to save that for another podcast. But understand there's some bad blood going between the NCAA and Kansas. And so they're up there on the platform and Emmert says, you know, our NCAA champions, the Kansas City Jayhawks. Ooh. What? Kansas City? So we're a city school? Now, you you don't know the name of the Jayhawks? Oh, come on. Here's a little bit of clue. James Naismith. Does that name ring a bell? It, of course it does. The inventor of a basketball, right? right? KU is located on a Naismith Drive. He was our first coach, ironically mm-hmm. our only coach with a losing record. We are the home. Doesn't matter. Co- exactly. We are the home of college basketball. Will Chamberlain played here. Uh, yep. I mean, come on. And you don't even know where we're from, the Kansas City right. Jayhawks. I don't know, Chris. I, I think that was intentional. Is well, there a take on whether or not that was an intentional slight at the well, Kansas Jayhawks? Of course it was. They know exactly where it's at. It, it, it's not. It, it's not a slip of the tongue. It's not a Freudian slip or anything to that effect. You know exactly what the names of the teams are. It's everywhere. My wife, who does not follow basketball ever, knew who Kansas Kansas Jayhawks. Like she, right. she even looked over at me. She goes, "I thought it was Kansas, not Kansas City." And then she's like, "Isn't Kansas City in Missouri? And isn't Kansas <laughs> like Kansas the state?" And I'm like, "Like." Sweetheart, you're smarter than the chief of the NCAA. I just want you to know that. That's just just where it's at. And, I mean, let's be honest. Like, he said it to be a jerk at the end of the day. I think so. He he took a lot of thunder. In other words, he said, look, we have our Dukes. We have our North Carolinas. Right. But this Kansas, these Jayhawks guys, they're just some kind of, uh, you know, afterthought kind of a program. Couldn't even get our name correct. That was intentional from the president of the NCAA. And we're going to talk about these sanctions coming up in a future podcast because I'm telling you, there is a lot to unpack. Well, this and the governor of North Carolina on Saturday like declared North Carolina the center of the college basketball universe and him and the um, NCAA president are all chummy chummy. And he was like joking with them. They were doing a, a press conference down here on in the French quarter, right, right on Decatur near Cafe Dumont, Jackson Square. And they were talking about how North Carolina puts out the best basketball players, how North Carolina is where basketball goes to thrive and blah, blah, blah. And Kansas shut them down. Okay, I want to go over one other point here about the Jayhawks National Championship, and mm-hmm. that is this. This is a college basketball national championship, but right. this tournament now is run by the NCAA. Well, yes. the NCAA were not the first group to run an end-of-the-year national tournament. In fact, there was a national college basketball tournament right before where all of the schools were invited. Do you know who yes. won the first two titles of that of this national championship before Rock the Chalk. NCAA? Exactly, KU. And so the question is, how many national championships has KU won? They said four. 
Yes. We say six, six because we won those two that came in 19, I think 22 and 1923 uh, before the NCAA started sponsoring the end of the year tournament. Uh, again, we I figured the NCAA wouldn't give credence to that previous tournament, but when they say national championships won, it's actually six for KU and not four. If you would say how many NCAA March Madness tournaments, okay, that would be four, but as far right. as national championships are concerned, uh, go to our raft. We have six of them up there, but hey, I, we will talk more about that at the um, uh, in, in the later podcast when we actually uncover these sanctions because I really want to dig in to the legalities sure. of that scenario. But first, we have an interview here with Francesca Witzberg, an amazing lawyer who does uh, trademark law, intellectual property law. And so here is that interview. Well, this week we have a special guest all the way from Manhattan, Kansas. I'm going to love talking about your experiences in Manhattan. It's one of my favorite places to go. Francesca Witzberg, partner at Loza and Loza. And I am horrible at pronouncing words. Did I butcher any of those? <laughs> no, you didn't. Uh, I am in. I am right outside of Manhattan, New York City. I'm at Loza and Loza, and you got my name perfectly hey, right. Hey, you know what? My name is Joel Oster. You would think that's pretty easy, but so many people butcher it. I'll go to a, a, a restaurant. I'll give them my name. Say, Oster Party of Two. Five minutes later, that same hostess will say, Oster Party of Two. Did I say Oster? Did I say Oyster? <laughs> it is Oster, but hey, that's good. Hey, you're also a social media star. I went to your website. You have a ton of websites, and in our show notes, our listeners can see where they can find you, so I don't need to repeat that, but you're on Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, Facebook, uh, and you're an intellectual property guru. Now, I want to get to that here by the end of our, of our interview to find out what you know about intellectual property. You're going to wow us with that. At least you're going to wow me because I have, I'm an idiot savant when it comes to intellectual property. I think NFTs is, is such a thing you're going to be talking about, right? In yeah. cryptocurrency. Do you ever go to, to a restaurant and, and pay for your meal in cryptocurrency? Not yet. See, I, I, so you, that's, a, that's what you're in for here. You got to explain cryptocurrency to me in ways that I can understand it. But first, I like to get to know the people I am interviewing. So you, um, you're from Manhattan or the Manhattan area. So is your law firm in Manhattan? We're, we're all over the place. Okay. So my law firm is actually based in Southern California. I'm based right outside of Manhattan, but a bunch of my clients are in the city and I have clients all over the country. So I love going to Manhattan. It's my favorite place in the world to visit. I love ordering pizza by the slice. I tell people, <laughs> you got to get that pepperoni pizza, fold it in half, and tip it. And if the grease is not spilling off the back end, it's not real pizza. So I love getting that pizza by the slice there. My first case I ever had was there in in uh, Brooklyn, New York, my client, um, Joe Rotella. It was an amazing experience. So I just love going there. But you live there. So how I'm just curious, how often would you go to the Broadway show? Yeah, so I want to clarify, I used to live there, I work there, and I work in New Jersey too, but now I live in New Jersey. So, okay. I mean, pre-COVID, right, it, um, I worked a block away from Broadway. So, yeah, you could sneak okay. out, and I had colleagues that would actually, you know, they could go and watch a show because if you're working in big law where I used to work – you were there all night anyway, so why not wow. sneak out for for a, a afternoon show? Because you're living at the office. Um, so being in New York City, yeah, I went to law school in the city. 
Then I worked there. I had a physical office in Manhattan pre until COVID hit. And being in the middle of everything is fantastic. But co- like I said, COVID changed everything. So now oh, yeah. I work I work from home pretty much as, as much as I can. I go into the city to still see clients. But it, it for me, if I'm going to go into the city, I'm going to be going to the shows. I'm going to be having lunch right, right. And, and dinners and meeting people outside of the office, not really right. to just go walk. I think with COVID, it's changed everything. So I've done several gigs for the New Jersey Bar Association. And so we'd be right there in New Brunswick. So I, I would take the bus into Jersey. Is that the way you would go? Or is there a better way to get from Jersey to, to Manhattan? That's so funny. Yeah. So if you walk out at the end of my street, there's a bus that picks you up. And okay. it's an express. And it takes you right to Port Authority. So yeah. it'll make some stops along the way. But Local around me and then it expresses into the city so that was the easiest for me but there's also trains it's, it's basically one of the perks of living in my area a lot of people do still commute in and so a lot of a lot of new yorkers or ex-new yorkers are around here now a person i interviewed a couple podcasts ago actually was talking to me from the beaches in australia so he maybe has a, a one up on you on that one, but I, I do like Manhattan. It's not the beaches of Australia, but I, I like to get the idea of the New York as compared to the Midwest. I'm from the Midwest, Kansas city. Have you ever been out to Kansas city? I've driven through it on a road trip. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so I tell people, my son goes to college in Manhattan and their first thought is Manhattan, New York. It's like, no, Manhattan, Kansas. Have you ever heard of Manhattan, Kansas? No, but wait. Okay, so you're going to, you're going to, this is relevant because there's two Kansas cities, right? Right, there is. Okay. So you know that. That's good. Which Kansas city are you from? Well, I. Well, I am on the, the Kansas side. I actually live in a place called Shawnee, Kansas. So okay. Kansas City, Kansas is really small. In fact, I think it's probably only the ninth largest city in Kansas as compared to Kansas City, Missouri, which is your major metropolis. And that's where the Kansas City Royals are, the Chiefs. And that's the big city with the big skyline. Uh, but yeah, no, that's actually pretty astute. You know, there's two different Kansas because cities. Because I've been to the other Kansas City <laughs> in Missouri. The Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is the main city. That's where our, our airport is. Uh, now, my son actually goes to the Manhattan uh, he, he goes to college at K-State University in Manhattan, Kansas, which ironically, they call themselves the Little Apple. So maybe a little bit of tongue-in-cheek there. That. I'm not sure. All right, one more thing before we get into your, uh, your career. Favorite legal movie? Oh, easy. Legally Blonde. It is the best oh, movie. All right, all right. It's just the well, best uh, movie, hands down. <laughs> you know, you have good. to like really watch it because, yeah, it's clearly Elle Woods, very feminine, but it's... Right. It's just generally, whatever your gender is, it's hilarious. It's a really it good, a good movie. movie. Everyone needs to go back and watch it again. It's classic. It, it, it is a good movie. My Cousin Vinny, Legally Blonde, since I do comedy in the law, I, I obviously have watched those movies umpteen times. They're, they're great for teaching the law and using some funny examples. I, I want to know, because I'm always curious about people's journey. You know, What caused you to get to where you are in life? Uh, how did you, why did you get into law? Why did I get into law? So gosh, it's really cliche, but I was one of those people that, you know, talked a lot as a kid, liked to argue and push buttons. So of course, inevitably my family said, 
Francesca, you'd make a great lawyer. <laughs> you know, from a very early age, but it kind of stuck with me. And then when I was figuring out what I actually wanted to do after graduation, I was in between either doing nonprofit work or going to law school and doing some sort of public interest. And I went to law school, didn't end up doing public interest, fell in love with intellectual property, and the rest is kind of history. Now, how is it that you said you 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 went to intellectual property? Was that a passion of yours that you took a law school class? Was it just that a door opened up at a firm that was hiring, so you went that direction? How is it you got into intellectual property? I had no idea what intellectual property was, but it turns out that the school that I went to was one of the top. So I graduated from okay. Benjamin N. Cardoza School of Law in Manhattan, based in Greenwich Village, right next to the new school in Parsons and just in it, right? So the school had a fantastic fashion law program. I was meeting the heads of big global brands, entertainment lawyers that were traveling back and forth from LA to New York. I just thought it was this really interesting area of the law that I had no idea about. Then I learned that you could actually help advocate for people you can help them you can help creatives protect their creative works with intellectual property you can help businesses i saw it as a way that i could still help people but it was a perfect blend of my love for art culture reading a lot and uh, advocating for people now i am um, uh, i want to get to the intellectual property here in just a bit but uh, I want to talk first about your, your law school experience because I know that by going through your site, which, by the way, wonderful site. I mean, a person could just go to your site. Is it your TikTok site or Instagram site? I don't know. I'm not bad and that much of it. You know, I'm that ignorant when it comes to social media. But you just click on these videos and watch them. And you're just like, wow, that's kind of fun. Then the next one, then the next one, you just keep on going. All of a sudden you realize I just wasted an hour looking at all these different <laughs> videos. Um, that being said, law school mastermind. I, now I will let you explain what it is. And then how did your law school experience, experiences lead you to forming the law school mastermind? There is a big community of students who are first generation law students or their first-generation law students and college students. So that was a challenge for me because I was a first-generation I was a first-generation law student. So I didn't have lawyers in my family. I didn't have that type of advice. And when I got to law school on the first day, I thought that it was just the fifth year of college, right? You read right, a lot, right. you study, you regurgitate, you get you, you get good grades if, if you show up and you do the work. Law school is nothing like that. You could spend hours and hours and hours reading the case, <laughs> and if you don't understand it or if you're not distilling the information the right way in the way that you your brain works, then you are literally wasting precious time. So I figured out second semester how to study. I figured out the, the year after how to network, how to get internships, how to leverage those internships for jobs, how to network to, to eventually have it lead to clients, which is what I'm doing right. now. So I realized this is the stuff that law school doesn't teach. And I put everything that I've learned into a course. So it's, a, it's an on-demand course okay. with a monthly group. We do monthly group coaching and it, it's actually a lot of young women that are first generation or 
they 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 have family who are lawyers and they want to learn the what I call the success secrets and wow. it's a tribe of really confident law students who want to learn everything that they can to do law school the right way. So if a person wants to take this course, how would they how would they do that? Uh, on Instagram, if you click the link in my bio, I do a master class. I think it's really okay. important before you can even sign up you have to go through the master class. It's live. Right. I do it once once a month, and I teach everyone the five steps to law school success. Ah, and okay. If so, that way it's it's free for everyone. The info is there, but for the people that really want to learn, the ones that want right. to get ahead, the ones that want to do this the right way, they sign up for the course, and we have monthly meetings. So, so my son is twenty two years old. I think I'm horrible at math. He, it changes every year, but uh, he's going to graduate from K-State University in mechanical nice. engineering. He has never made less than an A in his entire academic career. I mean, his, his testing is off the charts. And I, someone like that, would you advise them to go to law school? If he's saying, hey, you know what? I'm thinking about law school. He's right there on the, on the, the edge. He might go. He might not. He might stay in, in the engineering field. What would be your advice? I would never tell someone not to go to law school. I love being a lawyer. I've met a lot of people who do. Unfortunately, there are people, there's very bitter lawyers that say, you know, there's memes all the time of lawyers. Like, don't right, go to right. law school. Well, it's, it's the worst decision you've ever made. But then they're all still lawyers, right? Like, <laughs> if they hated it that much, you wouldn't be a lawyer. So it kind of irks me when I hear lawyers discouraging students because you know you're half kidding but also right. this is really affecting that person's life and if someone says oh don't do it they actually may not do it because you said not to um, it's actually the reason why i'm not a doctor today i had my friend's mom was a dermatologist and i really? said i want to be a dermatologist and she like was driving and almost stopped the car and was like don't don't be a dermatologist and she said wow. it in a way that she wasn't joking so i was like hey i'm not gonna do that but what we tell hold you hold on a people, second pause <laughs> there that is huge. Yeah. We have so you, speaking in, people. So you are speaking into each other's lives and, and I call I call planting seeds. You want to plant seeds in other people's lives. And someone spoke into your life and that has such an impact. Yeah. It might have changed the course of what you do for your entire career. Yeah, absolutely. And so if there are others lawyers watching that, this please stop saying it. If you so the way that I do it is I say I love my career. I picked a really interesting career. I'm in a firm that I'm extremely happy and it's the right thing for me. And I would never dissuade anyone from going to law school, but law students who are thinking about law school have to actually think, what is it like to be a lawyer? Am I going to like being a lawyer? And that is where the questions, uh, that, that's where they should begin their questions, not do you, do you like being a lawyer? You should ask people, now this is to law students if you're listening to this, ask lawyers, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? What do you like about your job? What are the not so interesting things about your job? Um, and so then you can get a sense. And that's, that's, kind, that's also why I did Law School Mastermind. I bring in real attorneys, in-house lawyers, entertainment lawyers, corporate lawyers, and then we talk about what their jobs are like. So then the students their pre-law and law students can get a sense of what it's like to do that type of law so they can decide because that's also something that's missing from from law school is is that ability to see what it's like to actually 
practice and that's why right, you do right. internships but it's cool to do it in like a course and coaching format see francesco i just can't get past that that thought that is just like it's um yeah i'm still i'm wild by it it's such a good thought of watch out because when you are speaking into each other's lives it just made me go back to my high school days believe it or not i was playing a sport and i overheard the coach tell someone else that i never would have what it takes to play that sport I still remember to this day, and I am 50 years of, of age, and that yeah. uh, hearing that person speak the, that, that, those words, even though it wasn't directed to me, to someone else, I still overheard it and remember it as if it were said to my face today. So what does that mean? And I, again, I, I want to go, I know we're going to hit it a little bit later, but I really liked what you said in your, um, uh, in your page, where you said the best investment you'll, you'll ever make is on yourself. And you had a lot of different criteria. I don't want to put you on the spot. You might not remember this. Ex Do you remember this post? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you, you start off by saying start a side hustle. What, what did you mean by that? Start a side hustle. Start learning something. It, it doesn't even really need to be like totally sales. It could be learning. It could be learning another, uh, you know, th that's a hustle. You can learn another language. But if you can, if it's economic, I would think economic. You, you don't have to okay. just be a lawyer. You can have other side businesses. Like, well, so what's the whole point? We say best investment you'll ever make is on yourself. You want to invest in yourself. So the thought there is you have your own career that's going somewhere, but also you want to do something on the side. I think that's just really one little thing of it. But the bigger point is that don't put all your eggs in a, a corporate in a salary, right? If you really like want to that. build the life of your dreams, you want to create wealth, wealthy people today, most of them do not rely on a salary you really oh. need to invest and you have to diversify your your income in, in other ways and also grow your mind. So it's not just doing one thing every day and then going out to drink and happy hour and right, right. wasting, you know, that precious time where you could be learning something or doing something else. Like if you listen to to what very successful people have to say, they are grinding. What are they doing after what are they doing before 9 a.m. and what are they doing after right. 5 p.m.? They're 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 still working. They're hustling. I like it. I mean, Francesco, I think that is that is brilliant. Um, and the way I take it now that you're explaining it is, if you're working for the man, and that's probably a, that's cliche. Yeah. I hate to say it, but you know what I, you know what I'm saying. You you said you're working for a paycheck, and we all know what that's like. You're working for someone else. You're never getting ahead. I mean, I worked for a paycheck for probably 20, 25 years. You never get ahead. You spend 100% of a paycheck. It just happens. You might, I looked at my budget for my very first budget I made when I was married. is 700 bucks a month to my last budget where I had a paycheck. And you still spend it all. So then once you actually create your own whatever it is, right? You, said, you call it a side hustle. Um, you're investing in yourself. You're doing what you want to do. All right, I got that. So then, where I'm, then you say register your trademarks and copyright. I'm really going out of uh, out of order here. What made me think about this was your statement number three: say no to things that people say no to things that people that drain you and cut out the negativity. That's where I was kind of going. Oh, Why yeah. is that so important? That it's like the the mantra for my life. Once I have realized that, it took me thirty years. Really, did take me thirty years to realize. If you just continue to say yes to people and please right. other people, you are never going to ultimately do the things that you want to do. It literally takes saying no 
to negative things, negative people, negative circumstances to say yes to the things that make you truly happy and successful. And we're taught from day one to obey your parents, to listen to your teachers, to unwaveringly do whatever a super a superior tells you to do. And then you go to college and you get to make decisions for yourself. And you, you're in your 20s, you're working and maybe you're in corporate America or you're getting a paycheck and you want to climb up that corporate ladder. And then you start thinking, well, why is this boss saying things to me? You know, why are they making me feel this way? And then you realize that <laughs> they're just people who are also playing the game. So if you're right, just right. blindly following people, you may be in a situation, I'm just giving an example, you could be in a situation where your, their supervisor actually doesn't want what's best for you. And as as children, you know, we're, we're teaching them to trust the people above you. But then you get into this world where it's like, wow, who do I trust? And that's also, you know, why I created this mentorship program, because I want to teach young people that tra that transition is you have to think for yourself. You have to advocate for yourself. Not everyone is good, but you can be you can say no to the things and the people who are, are negative and just keep staying positive. Now, why is it important to register your trademarks and copyrights? Because that was part two. Yeah. Again, you, uh, our listeners can go to your site and see this. Uh, you have, your, your, I think, three points here, uh, maybe four points. Um, but why is registering the trademark and, and copyrights important? I per, I'm an IP lawyer. I register all my trademarks. The, the, so I, I'm practicing what I teach, right? These are real, well, they are intangible assets. They are, they are assets, okay? I helped the client. He, we did a search. He filed two trademarks in the U.S. and the EU. I helped him sell them for $125,000. Wow. This is, this is money. And everything now is online. I mean, your, your podcast name, Joel, this content, this is all intellectual property. And if you're strategic about how you brand it, how you partner with people, you're, make, you're monetizing your IP. And if you ever say, oh, I want to go and sell this, you know, you could eventually right. s sell the content or you could even sell the name. So definitely filing for the trademarks, that's one one point is that it's they have a value in and of themselves. But m importantly, you also need to protect your names right now because people think that they own their name without a registration and it's very 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 challenging to prove that you have ownership of something without a registration. It's expensive, it's time consuming, that's where you spend a ton of money on legal fees versus just filing, having everything registered, the the important things, like the things right, that right. you would be devastated if someone stole. Register those because with a registration, you could really just simply flash your certificate of registration and should be able to enforce your rights. But without it, it's it's a legal nightmare. Now, I'm not going to ask for specific legal advice, but just in general, here's here's a, a hypothetical for you. There is another guy out there whose name is uh, Joel Osteen. Have you heard of him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mega pastor. People confuse me and him all the time. They see my name, Joel Oster. They go, oh, are, are you him? It's like, no, TV does not subtract 50 pounds or add Elvis Presley hair. I look nothing like Joel Osteen. 
But that being said, could I get a trademark for my name, Joel Oster, even though it's so close to Joel Osteen? Well, I can't answer that specifically, but I'm going to tell you how it works. So trademark rights are based on use, and they're really use in connection with the categories and the stuff that you're doing. So, you know, if you're in the entertainment category and Joel Olstein is in religious services, he's he may and if there's not really an overlap, you know, he could have an you would have an argument that they're different. If something happens, though, and if he's in this entertainment space, you know, he can raise an argument. So it's not about yes or no or can you can't you. This is this is just kind of how the mechanics work is that your trademark rights are really limited to the categories where you're using. Um there's an exception to that for really famous marks like Disney. Ah. You can't go out and register Disney cigarettes, even though Disney's okay. not selling cigarettes. They they get broader right, right. protection for their names. So it really does come down to that. And, you know, Joel, the, the way to not have to deal with that question is you file. Get the registration. Get, get that peace of mind. That registration can always – be contested but at least you'll have it and it's much harder for someone to try to to say you don't have rights when you have that registration now i don't know the answer to this but if someone is listening to this and they're in utah let's just say uh now i know it's a federal issue can they call you for that legal work yes and that's a great point because the trademarks and copyrights are federal law so my clients are all over all over the United States. I, I also right. help some clients file things internationally. There is a point where you do need foreign counsel, but we all work with a foreign attorney and basically manage a client's whole portfolio worldwide. All right. I hope you've had enough prep time to think how you could possibly explain things like cryptocurrency and NFTs to someone of my age group. I hate to say that, but it it is true. I'm not as bad as my mother. My mother, bless her heart. She asked me, so where is this internet thing that they keep talking about? Where can I go drive up and see it? How do you even begin to answer that? But nonetheless, I'm not that bad. Maybe you'll think I am, but what is it? Explain what an NFT is and how that works. Sure. Okay. So a non-fungible token, NFT for short, is a verifiable digital asset that's verified on the blockchain and it also links break to that a down smart for contract. me <laughs> all right break that down why why would a person get an nft so i'm thinking the thought there is we all live in this digital age we all exist on our computers that's where we create stuff that's where that's our storefront like my storefront is comedianoflaw.com i don't have a business that, i mean you know storefront that is my that is my business so you're saying since we live there, this is some kind of digital thing that we can attach to our online presence? I mean, explain to me how, how, why would one want this? Okay, well, the internet is different than blockchain. So I guess I need to back up and say, like, what is okay. blockchain? Blockchain is the technology that's behind a couple of the things that you, you were mentioning, you know, cryptocurrency, um, NFTs, Web3, okay? Web3 is the next evolution of the internet. So web one was when the internet was invented and it was just static web pages. Okay. Web web two was the creation of user-generated content platforms like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. You know, that that internet is clearly different from what we saw with the, in, the invention of the internet. 
Okay. And now gotcha. Web3 is that the evolution of that. So right now, you know, we're recording this podcast and people are listening to this podcast. But in Web3, we could be able to do this and our listeners can be tipping you, Joel, in cryptocurrency. Uh, you could be giving back money for to the people who are buying your NFTs just uh through a royalty mechanism in a smart contract and it's all automatic so the next evolution of the internet if it if it really is based in blockchain technology it gives people the ability to monetize their content better and also to ensure ownership of okay. their assets ownership is really key and like i i i'm so interested in it from an ip lawyer perspective because like everyone says, you you said, why is it important? Why am I gonna care about? Why am I gonna care about NFTs? And the answer is that you are able to ensure your ownership over your assets. If you make an NFT collection with audio files of your podcasts, right? Right. You're giving you're giving your listener the ability to invest in your brand. They're buying okay. your NFT. They get to say, I am an NFT holder of Joel. And then from there, you can decide what you want to give back to your NFT holders. You can give them a percentage of royalties from the sales of your podcast uh, or you know your, your revenue stream from your podcast. You can give them access to masterminds, access to private podcasts. And okay. guess what? If they want to sell and make a profit, they can go on and sell. And you can build it into the contract that every time an NFT holder makes a sale, you're getting a percentage of that sale. So I sell, like, so, I, so let's say we have a, a podcast. I could sell NFTs to the listeners? You can make an NFT, yes. So an NFT right now, what we're seeing is that it's digital art, right? Like you could buy okay. a piece. So what we're seeing right now is digital art. But you can upload as an NFT audio files. Okay. So people can actually buy one of your NFTs that's representative of the audio file and they'll have ownership of the audio file. That doesn't mean that they have a copyright in it, okay? But they okay. can say, wow, I have this NFT that is one of the podcasts. And so they have, they have ownership, they're in your community. And if they go to sell it, then they will make money and you will make money. So if you explode, if, if there is the community is so important that people are paying big money for these NFTs, you've now created an economy to give back to your listeners. That's the important thing is that you don't have to, you know, spend money in advertising. You don't have to uh, say, hey, listen to my content. You're, you're actually creating an economy where you can benefit and your listeners benefit. So do you have an example of where NFTs are being used now that might help our listeners understand the business model on how it works? Yeah, so there's it, there's really a million, a million, right? I'll give I'll give the digital art example. I think that's what everyone's seeing, right? So you're seeing pictures okay. of the board the board apes, you're seeing right, pictures right. of world of women. Uh, these are art collections. There there's there were okay. artists that created a 10,000 collection and they're called profile pick collections okay. where you literally buy one and you put it as your profile picture. 
it's become so much more. So by having, I just, I just bought, um, a couple World of Women yesterday. So I bought into this World of Women Galaxy project. It's their second collection. And by having that, you know, you can go online and see my new profile picture, but also it gives me access to a community. I am now part of this group of people who are all interested in this project. So it's like branding and marketing, but also they are going to give the holders certain things. They're having a a an event, they're having a gala, they're having meetups. There's a lot of in real life and physical things that you can partner with it. Um, wow. the, any business can do this. I mean, we would be talking all day if I listed right, all right, of them. Right. Well, Francesca, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, I can tell already this is fascinating. I'm going to have to go back to your site and dig around some more, do some more research. There's no way within the contours of this podcast you're going to be able to explain to me all what NFT is, but it does sound fascinating. I'm going to go to your site, and again, on our show our notes will be um, access to your site, the links to your different site uh, where we can learn more. So where would a person go to buy? Would they go to you to buy the NFTs, or do you help – facilitate the transaction of buying the nfts does that question so, even make sense yeah uh, i am i don't have an nft project yet so if i did have okay. an nft project then you could go to my any sites and i could tell you where to buy and when but if you're interested in learning about nfts i would say follow me on decentral lawyer that's okay. my that's my sub brand, if you will, on all things NFT, Web three, and blockchain. I'm also extremely active on Twitter as the TM attorney, and just start exploring. Get on Twitter, listen, go on OpenSea, and look at some of the collections. But more importantly, I would say think of how you can utilize the technology in your business because it's coming. The purpose of an NFT is it's a verifiable asset. You can give people ownership of things, dig digital, digital things, or you can link them to a physical thing. And then they can sell it for, a they can sell it. You'll make money off of the sale. This technology is really revolutionary, but the most important thing about it is that it's verifiable. So if you bought a piece of artwork in the real world, you're right. relying on third parties to authenticate that. Right, right. And there's some ridiculous statistic that art is, like a majority of art is, they believe, may actually be inauthentic and not, okay. not real. So the blockchain removes that problem. If an artist mints their collection and makes, makes them into NFTs, there is a public immutable ledger. There is a public record of the day and the time that the artist put that up for sale and every single owner thereafter. So if you wanted to brag about owning something, it takes two seconds for someone to go online and check the blockchain ah. to actually verify that. Okay. Wow. You have blown my mind, giving me a lot to, to, to digest and to research. So thank you so much for coming on. Best of luck. And I hopefully I'll be calling you sometime in the, in the near future. Thank you so much, Joel. We're back here with our courtroom quarterback section. We talked a lot of sports at the beginning. We don't have much to cover now, but I did want to just share one story that I know Chris is going to, I hope, dig into like, because I am now in your neck of the woods. I am talking about opening day in baseball. Greatest day ever. And so I went, Greatest day ever. I went yesterday. 
uh, on Thursday and went to the opening day for the Kansas City Royals. Now, this was my first day ever attending um, an opening day of baseball. Have you been okay. to opening day of baseball? Yes, I have several, several times. I've heard about the pageantry involved and the crowds are there and it's uh, the, all the, mm-hmm. the excitement about opening day. Do you know what people did not tell me about to be prepared for? Do you might not, I'll give you a pass on this because you're from Arizona. But what I right. what people didn't tell me about were the absolute frigid freezing temperatures. Chris, it was oh, cold. Oh yeah, it's going to be cold for you. Oh yeah. Oh, it was bitter cold. It's going to be super cold. And now, did you go to the Kansas Royals or the Kansas City Royals? Because I'm very concerned. I know. After this past NCAA tournament, that I don't know where Kansas City and or Kansas teams are located. Here's the other thing. So there's been actually this discussion here of moving the Kansas City Chiefs to um to Kansas on the Kansas side. We have a lot of nice developments over here on the Kansas side. That's where yeah. I live. And so the mayor of Kansas City said, "No, we will not let that happen. We will. They've always been the Kansas City Chiefs. We're not going to let them leave our great and glorious city." Uh, Mayor, nope. newsflash, they're not in Kansas City right now. They're in Raytown. They're nope. not in Kansas City. Yes. And so they built the stadiums outside of Kansas City. So I have no idea why they were even saying that. Uh, it's not in Kansas City right now. But, yes, uh, the, the, they're actually located in, uh, in the Missouri side, the Kansas City Royals. And it was cold. I mean, first of all, the temperatures were like 45 degrees. Now, that in and of itself Ooh. is not that bad, right? 45 degrees doesn't really no. mean much. All right. No, put a wind chill with that, the though. The wind was howling. Over 20 miles per hour wind. It was so bad that when we got into the opening where you, you walk into the stadium, so it's an open air kind of situation. It's like a tunnel of air. My wife and I both got knocked off our feet. The wind was coming in that Ooh. hard. Chris, it was snowing on us. We took pictures of the snow. It's 45 degrees and uh, snowing. Uh, uh, uh. I don't know how that's even oh, possible, that's but we felt it. We saw it. It is happening. But nonetheless... Zach Grinky was our opening day pitcher. Do you remember Zach? I do. I do. I hated Zach when he was a Dodger. Now I'm okay with him. You hated him as a Dodger? Did you like him as an Arizona Diamondback, or did you pretty much not care? Uh, after he left the Dodgers, he was an okay person. Everybody is an okay, okay person after they leave the Dodgers. All right. Well, he started out in Kansas City as a Kansas City Royal. We went through him at the very beginning of his career. He won a Cy Young with us. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, whenever they want to get paid, they then go out to other, you know, the New York Yankees. were basically a farm club for all these other programs. We yep. get that. But that's okay because we can enjoy these stars for the short period of time that we have them. Well, yesterday I told my wife we are experiencing history today and she goes what do you mean well this was the first day bobby witt jr was playing in the major league uh, major league baseball and so for the kansas city worlds he was called up this year from the minor leagues all eyes are on him i went to espn espn even wrote an article about this is bobby witt's first day apparently he is the biggest prospect in baseball and this was his opening day his first day in the major leagues and so he started off with three outs uh maybe he's just kind of getting the feel of things whatever seventh inning or was it the eighth inning uh it might have been the eighth inning we are it is tied one one we have a guy on second who comes to the plate bobby witt jr the entire crowd felt it okay he had not had a major league hit yet Apparently, he's already been inducted in the Hall of Fame. They're already kind of measuring his bust out or whatever because they know he's going to be a star. Yeah. But uh, he comes out there 0 for 3, man on second, tied 1-1. 
He laces a liner to left field. Hits a double, scores the one. It ends up being the winning run. That was opening day. So, yes, I am caught up in the magic. I am excited about this baseball season. And when whenever he is eventually inducted into the Hall of Fame, I can say I saw his very first hit. So, keep that name in mind. There it is. Bobby Witt Jr. Also, because of the way the economics of baseball works, we all know he will not be a Royal for long. We will enjoy him for about four or five years, just like Hosmer and those other players. But there'll come a yep. time when he wants to get paid and we will not be able to pay him what he is worth. And so he will leave Kansas City. But hey, we'll enjoy it while we have him. And then at the end of his career, just like Zach Greinke did, he'll want to come back home and retire as a Royal and enter the Hall of Fame <laughs> as a Royal. I might be overstating things just a bit there, but nonetheless, that was no. my take on opening day. Not at all, because I believe Albert Pujols this season starts with the St. Louis Cardinals, yeah. where he started his career. So Pujols did his career with, with St. Louis. He did it with Los Angeles Anaheim, Los Angeles Dodgers, and now he's coming back to St. Louis to, to welcome himself home. So it's all that's I think that's the romanticism of baseball. Yes. Right? You no matter where you go, your fans will always be loyal to you unless you're a Dodger. <laughs> and you could be able to to have a great career. You know that is absolutely true. When uh, Mustakas came back uh, and uh, and yeah. to the to Kansas City, and there's another player right now for the Milwaukee Brewers. I'm forgetting his name. I I cannot believe it. he was he was with the Royals and won the title with us. An amazing player. And for some reason, I'm, his name yeah. is escaping me. But I was there when he came back. We gave him a standing ovation, even though he was right. with the other team. We were so happy with for it what he matter. did here in Kansas City. And you know what, Chris. Right. We don't fault these players for going out and getting paid a hundred million dollars somewhere else. We can't pay that. We're a small club, right? But we, hey, we're glad we had you when we did. I'm not faulting anyone for going out and making a hundred million dollars, right? Uh, uh, you right. go enjoy exactly. your life, and we thank you for your service and bringing us a World Series. But Chris, I caught the fever, and it is now time for baseball. All right, I'm going to let you go. Love Any it. final thoughts before you go out there and enjoy your last few days there in um, uh, New Orleans? Yeah, if you ever get the chance to come to New Orleans, please come. The city's amazing. It's got great food. It's a tourist city. It's so it's so amazing to be here. And I just I can't stress enough about the food, about the culture, about the music, about all of it. Don't come during Final Four. There's too many people. It's not <laughs> it's not conducive to walking around on the streets. But other than that, come down here to, to New Orleans. It's absolutely gorgeous. Especially there might be Duke fans, and so you, you want to avoid that at right. all costs. Uh, but hey, that's just my dick. at all costs. That's just my dick there. All right, hey, have a great week, right. and we'll see you next week back in sunny Scottsdale. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a complete and utter mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for our marketing efforts. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Tri. Plus City Marketing for our technical and computer support.